Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, this is episode number 140 of the Crossover Podcast. David Johnston and Jeff Dantzler filling in. This feels like a Georgia baseball game. Chris is on vacation this week, and I'll be on vacation next week, so you'll be filling in for me. You'll have Chris back next week, and that means the production value of it will be way, way better than it is right now. But, uh, Jeff, good to see you here, and um, happy summertime to you. Yeah, I, I wish we were out in Omaha right now with the Georgia baseball team, and uh, it's always great to be with you, DJ, and uh, have certainly missed uh, so much of baseball season. And as we've said, we've talked to the players and the coaches, too, and, and obviously missing the games. But it's also, it, it's the travel, it's the camaraderie. I, I think about for us with our, our great SID, Christopher Lakos, we, we go grab us a, a good dinner every Thursday night oh, yeah. and every Saturday night on the road. And we have a great time uh, when we make our day trips. Well, not necessarily to Kennesaw, that's bad traffic, Ooh, but to, yeah. to places like Mercer and Clemson, always have a good time. So I've missed that. But like we've said a bunch, when we do get back to it, that'll certainly make us uh, savor every single day. Speaking of good dinners and good food, of course, Fully Loaded is one of our favorite places in Athens. In fact, two great locations, Five Points, which is just down the road from you, and off Mars Hill Road in Watkinsville, which is kind of just down the road from me, and I'm a big fan of the home team itself. Oh, it's one of my yeah. favorite pizzas they have over there. Yeah, and I love Philly Loaded. Uh, Kel Dodson, he runs the our, our joint down there in Five Points, and uh, they did uh, takeout during the the lockdown yep. which was awesome so emily and i yep. were over there at least once a week great pizza great wings and my favorite dish there the chicken parm pasta mm. and they've got this greek salad no onions so i always get that with the chicken parm pasta and it's uh, it's fantastic so we love fully loaded they, they also have cold beverages there <laughs> we love those too <laughs> yes we do well let's for the first segment here let's talk a little bit about baseball and in the second segment, why don't we talk about the College Football Hall of Fame? Perfect. You brought up baseball. We got some stuff going on with Georgia, and kind of feels like you and me talking together. Like you said, we should be sitting together calling a baseball game. It's unfortunate we didn't get to do that this year. We saw Emerson Hancock go number six overall in the uh, in the draft to the Mariners, and Cole Wilcox going in the third round, number eighty overall. He gets taken by the Padres, and yes even though technically he hasn't signed right now, I guess, but he is going to. So they'll be gone. Uh, our uh, free agent signings that we know of so far are Tucker Bradley to the Royals and uh, Cam Shepard will be going to the uh, to the Braves. And we'll see what else we uh, found out today as we record this on a Thursday that uh, Patrick Sullivan is going to head to the Little Apple, Manhattan, Kansas, and be a grad student slash player for Pete Hughes at Kansas State. And we also found out Justin Glover has gotten a great job in Atlanta, so he's going to go ahead and start out life in the real world. And I wanted to get your thoughts and just talk with you a little bit about this is now life in the COVIDs, if you will, of how teams are going to have some players coming back and teams aren't going to have some players coming back. And it's kind of weird 
how it hits your your roster cycle. There were teams this year that were going to be inexperienced and we're going to have um, guys that were going to get had probably got a lot of at bats in the first. What did we play? Twenty games, something yeah, like that. Yeah. There were also teams like Georgia that, at least in the field, were very experienced and didn't get a whole lot of guys coming off the bench per se. Now, coach was doing a good job of mixing and matching and getting certain players in, but I think Buddy Floyd was really the only true freshman that got some at bat. So it's going to be interesting to see next year what teams have players coming back, what teams this year were inexperienced, what teams this year were experienced and going to lose players. So Georgia may not have the uh, the roster crunch as badly of players coming back with players coming in as some other teams may have. I think you're right, just with, with all these guys moving on, and we'll see what Mason Meadows is going to do. Uh, he, he's already graduated, so then you get down to grad school, how, how much of that's getting paid for? Because I don't think the NCAA has still been 100% clear yeah. on the actual roster size and, and how the money works. And um, you know, We, we kind of had that feeling with, with this group of players that's been around for the last three years, and especially those seniors that were freshmen in 2017 who had that late season rally which uh, obviously was was huge just in terms of Georgia baseball history and then uh, the great years in 2018 and in 2019 and, and then the start we were off to this year it was just such a great group of kids and we get to be yeah. around these guys at the field and on the road and it really was a special group you know, it reminded you of uh, those teams back 01 04 06 08 the, the 2011 team just the the caliber and the quality of those young men, and I kind of got the feeling when we found out the season was going to be canceled, especially because there was a 99% chance that Emerson and Cole would be signing, that it, this was kind of our version of the last dance for, mm-hmm. the, for this baseball team. And, and just kind of my gut was this was such a close-knit group of guys. My thinking was either almost all of them are coming back or they're all going to move on. Yeah. And, and it certainly looks like um, – they're all or, or most of this this core group is moving on and they certainly made their mark in georgia baseball history it's just heartbreaking that we didn't get to play out this season and two of the guys cam shepherd and patrick sullivan are uh, two of the greatest at their position in georgia history and run reduction <laughs> you know we know uh cam is the only shortstop in sec history to go 30 conference games without an error uh, Sully, we put him right up there with Josh Morris and Rich Poitras, and those are some of the best defensive players Georgia has ever had. So when you look at maybe their offensive numbers, you don't see some of those jump out at you that you would with some of the Georgia greats. But defensively, those are going to be some big, big, big shoes to fill. No, you're exactly right, Dave. Yeah, two of the best ever there. And and those guys had a, a, a penchant uh, to come up in the clutch oh, yeah. at the plate as well. Yeah, no kidding. And right. Sully was hitting, what, 300 in SEC games? Was it? Or he, let's see, i got to refresh my memory right. on all these stats. I know. I but, know. Yeah, he hit know, over 300 in the league, in last, the league year. last year. Last year, yeah. And, you know, Cam had it, it, it really turned it on at the plate. Both of those guys were, were swinging the back good and then you you just look at the start that Tucker Bradley had gotten off to I me mean, he really w- was off to a yeah. Gordon Beckham Jeff Keppinger Derek Lilliquist yeah. type start at the plate you know who, who knows what he was gonna do so just this whole group of guys and I, I just I love all these guys so much I feel kind of bad mentioning one or two because I feel I like know, I'm like gonna leave somebody some, out gonna leave and somebody out Tucker Bradley I mean, he gets hurt last year oh. and this year he only gets 
you know, thir- first third of the season. I mean, you just feel really bad for him. He was in Athens for four years, and this is, uh, you know, this is how it has to end for these guys. Uh, it stinks. Now, I, I think moving forward, um, college baseball, and this this has been brutal. What's happened? Obviously, for everybody, and and on the sports landscape, because I also feel like as good as both tennis teams were, the golf team looked really good. And you know, we were hosting the NCAA swimming championships. Softball's off to a, a good start. Yep. I felt like this was shaping up to be one of those really special springs here in Athens, which you know definitely stings. But with, with with what's happening with the minors right now, DJ, and obviously there's you know, going to be a new era of economics. I think if baseball goes to the calendar that's been discussed, basically pushing the season back, was it five weeks, a little bit more than a month? Yeah, about a month. Yeah, starting mid to late March. Yeah. Moving the College World Series back into July. If that happens, and I, I hope it does, you're bringing in – a lot more teams and into it does play. Sound like it's going to happen for the twenty-one season. I think that's when it won't be in. I'm sorry for the, the twenty-two 20, season, right? Not next year. Excuse me, but not the next year, year after. But the year after, yes. And then, and I would guess too, and certainly ESPN looking at the analytics, I would think Michigan making it to the finals of the World Series this past yeah. season. That that was a light bulb going off, and and all of a sudden now, if you're talking about, oh gosh, you know, what if you have like football? If you got Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Nebraska, you're bringing in Missouri. If they fix our radio booth yeah. to be more competitive in in <laughs> right. the SEC, uh, Kansas and Kansas State, just because of the weather, you're bringing them more into play. I think that's a chance for college baseball to boom, and I would imagine too. Uh, the powers that be in baseball, why not look at the NFL and say, look at this relationship that the NFL and college football has had forever. If one's good, the other's going right, to be good. Right. College plays on Saturday, the pros on Sunday. And if college football's great, that's great for the NFL. Uh, the NBA and college hoops used to be on the same page, but they hadn't been for a long time. So I, I think there's a real chance now for college baseball to surge if you're talking about bringing more schools into play as being consistent national competitors. And for at least eight teams, you're talking about taking your season all the way to basically almost the end of July. That's exactly right. Right into the beginning of the school year. That's, that's exactly yeah. right. So for 16 teams, middle of July, I guess, or beginning, you know, you're playing after July 4th. No, I, I completely yeah. agree. So I, I think just bringing more teams into it, if, if there is indeed a, a cut down on the minor leagues, will the majors look at this and say, all right, well, let us use college baseball somewhat similarly to the way the NFL yeah. has, has used college football here. And, and I just think from, from a fan standpoint – um, and, and by the way, every player I've talked to, they love the idea because those cold February games, it's it's yeah. tough for everybody. Now, there'll be some teams that won't get a summer, some players that'll be playing baseball all summer. Hey, there's worse things you there's can worse do, things. but you don't get any – they may not get any time off anyway because the way the system is now, the, the players that get drafted, they're headed right off to the, ma- or to the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. The players that are underclassmen, they're headed to summer baseball anyway. Sure. So it may not change for them. I don't know what happens to like the Cape Cod League and stuff like that. That's tough. Uh, but I'm sure they can get stuff like that figured out. Now, I would think so, too. But, you know, the, the, I think the other thing, too, this way, if they do do it, baseball's not going head-to-head with basketball for right. very long. So we'd basically be starting – 
when the Sweet 16's going. Right, right. And, and that would only affect a very small number of schools. And I think the other thing, even if you didn't have a, a, a great year, if you didn't make the postseason, if the baseball season ends in June, and if you did have – a great year and made the postseason. If you had a dream year and made it to Omaha, like you just said, DJ, yeah. you're going into late July. For fans, you don't have that gap right. waiting into football. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, probably about five weeks or something. You could so, have a baseball game after media days for football. That would be something. So <laughs> That would be weird. That, that yeah. would be. But but so I, I think there are a lot more pluses to it. So I, I'm excited. My fingers crossed. I'm hoping that we do see that. And like you said, it looks like it's going to happen for the, the spring of 20. 22. So, yeah, we got to kind of keep our, it's hard keeping our years straight right now. By the way, I also wanted to mention this too that uh, like a Will Proctor's going to Michigan. You mentioned, um, you mentioned the Wolverines and love Will and wish him nothing but sure. the best. And uh, mentioned Sully headed to, uh, to Kansas State. Georgia will be getting a transfer pitcher from Florida, Nolan Crisp. Oh, wow. Who is coming in now. Not sure yet if he's, uh, hopefully he'll be eligible. Next year, but um, not uh, not sure what his status is. So there are comings and <laughs> and goings, uh, you know, both ways. And we saw Crisp as a, I guess as a freshman. I got to get my dates. On I know the years. years. He had I think he was an eight save guy for the Gators. Yeah, he's a dude. So, yeah, so he'll be coming in, and that's certainly big. But uh, these young freshman pitchers, these Jonathan Cannons. The, the Childers of the world, the uh, whoever else I'm um, leaving out, I guess. Uh, uh, God, who, am I, who am I leaving out? Uh, I don't want to leave anybody. Polk. So, uh, sure. Yeah, so those guys are going to be the front line guys. And they didn't have the chance they to didn't get, get a freshman year, essentially. Yeah, that's a tough part because when you think about some of our, our terrific pitchers through the years, you know, going back to you know, guys like Will Startup, Trevor Holder, Josh Fields, and, and then on into. Uh, you know, guys like Michael Palzon, and certainly in, in recent years with, with Tony Losey. Now, Hancock jumped right into the rotation. That was yeah. a rarity, but even Cole Wilcox, you, you had that time you're working out of the bullpen, then, then you get one of those midweek starts, yeah. th- then you get some of that SEC action coming out of the pen. So for these young arms, they, they really didn't have much of an opportunity for that. And, and the deal is everybody's in the same boat on it, but it, a lot of it, depends on how your roster looks. And, and like you said, this was a veteran Georgia team, so there were going to be a lot of new guys coming in for next season and uh, yeah, ju- just to miss out on the opportunity. I think that's what stings the most. So, yeah, definitely it is going to be the, the old bathmatic baptism by fire oh, yes. for those young freshmen, <laughs> now sophomores, when they get a throw. To, and, and like you've said before, if they do indeed uh, keep – the same schedule for next year. It's like so. Jonathan Cannon, hey, your first SEC start Friday night in Gainesville, Down Florida, in Gator Country. <laughs> I know, uh, no, no big deal there at all. All right, we're going to take a, a quick break. This is episode 140 of the uh, Crossover Podcast. Again, brought to you by Fully Loaded Pizza Kitchen, Five Points in Athens, also off Mars Hill Road in Watkinsville. Jeff filling in for Chris. And uh, he'll be filling in for me next week. Cause that's how vacations <laughs> seem to fall. Jeff just got back from his. And uh, the, the, the only thing about returning from vacation is that you're returning from vacation. <laughs> they go way too <laughs> they fast. Go way too fast. All right, on the other side, we're going to talk about the College Football Hall of Fame here on the Crossover Podcast brought to you by Fully Loaded Pizza Kitchen. 
If you're ready to dine out, Fully Loaded Pizza Kitchen is ready for you to dine in because both Fully Loaded locations are now open with limited indoor and outdoor seating, plus all the other necessary safety precautions. All your Italian favorites, wings, and more are waiting, but curbside pickup will continue at Fully Loaded Pizza Kitchen, or you can call to see which delivery service is available. If you want to get out of the house, you can dine in at Fully Loaded Pizza Kitchen at Five Points in Athens and off Mars Hill Road in Watkins. All right, Dave and Jeff back here along with you, and uh, thanks so much for joining us here. Episode number 140 of the Crossover Podcast, and Chris is on vacation this week, so Jeff's filling in, and then I'll be on vacation next week, so Jeff will be filling in for me with Chris, but thank you very much for joining us. It was good to talk some college baseball on the uh, front nine. Now that we're here on the back nine, I wanted to talk about the, the College Football Hall of Fame and... Congratulations to Champ Bailey, who is on the ballot for the first time. I'm pretty sure he'll get in. I don't, and I don't know if it's like the Baseball Hall. I don't really pay attention. It's like the Baseball Hall of Fame or the Football Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Does a guy like Champ Bailey, because of his professional prowess, does that mean he gets in automatically on his first shot on the, uh, on the, on the college side of things? I mean, he should. Sure. I just don't know how that works. You know, George, I believe, has 15 members of the – I guess it depends how you count it, with players and coaches in the in the College of Law. I think, yeah, you know, yeah, off the top of your head. I've kind of lost track of the numbers because, you know, you could certainly – like Pop Warner coached yeah, here for two years, right. Coach Donnan. I and obviously, I count Coach Donnan, obviously. Yeah, but I'm trying to think for, for the players, we could, we could run off it. You've got, what, McWhorter. McWhorter, Catfish Smith. Yeah, uh, I was going to – Oh, know, I'm sorry. Tar- I- Tarkenton, Trippy, yeah. Sinkwich. Okay. So that's five. Herschel Walker. Herschel, He's yes. in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Stinch is in there. Um, David but, Pollock is in this year's class. So that's – then you got Hogue, um, uh, Butler, uh, Jake Scott. Yep. Stanfield. Yep. Scott Werner. Werner. Um, yeah, so that's – Are we leaving anybody out? Yeah, so Our apologies uh, if we Co- are. Coach Dooley. Coach Do- oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Coach that guy, Dooley. that guy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you're getting up in the high teens yeah. now, and you're, and you're starting to see – that's and if we did leave anybody out, I I, I certainly do apologize. But there is one person that's left out, but I'll get to him. In yeah, just a m- more on that great man yes, later. Yeah. But but no, Champ is is so deserving. And just when I think about his his time at Georgia, I remember Coach Don and even that, that preseason practice in 1996, saying this kid is is a phenom. And and they brought him along. Right, he was playing special teams, get his feet wet here and there. But I remember the, the four overtime win against Auburn. He stepped in. He started playing a lot of nickel, and then it, he had kind of become yeah. a, a, an every-down defender as that game went along. And, and I just remember that there was a play that Auburn threw a pass, and you know it was going to be a 50-50 ball, and here comes Champ kind of out of nowhere to knock it away. Yeah. And you could just see the instincts and the athleticism. And as they say, the rest is history. And, and Coach always says, you, you ask him who was the you know, best player ever coached, he – He's like, well, I love all my players, but Champ, you know, it's oh, you know, man. Champ Bailey. The guy's crazy. Well, crazy he, good. He's been one of the best we've ever seen. And and he had a play like that, too. DJ, as, as you'll remember, the Wisconsin team we beat the next year to go 10-2. And not only they had Ron Dane, they had a great wide receiver, a guy named Tony Simmons, who's mm-hmm. a sprinter. He was a blazer. And, and I remember there was a similar type play, the one I was just talking about at Auburn. They threw deep for him, and, and Kirby was there with him, and it was going to be a tussle. And I, I'm watching on TV, and then from 
off the screen, I guess from my bookshelf, uh, all the way across <laughs> here. Here comes Champ. He, he was on another guy just, just to yeah. swat the ball away. And he's like, where in the world did, did this guy come, come from? from? And then in 98, when he when he started playing a ton of offense, you know, the catch he had to, to clinch the LSU game on the deep ball, uh, the, the two tunnel screens against Vandy, I mean, the game he had against Auburn. What was it? it played like 119 plays in that game. Which is funny, too, because defensively, I mean, you can certainly name some, some great plays that he made but defensively he wasn't around the ball as much because yeah, yeah teams, other teams throw stayed to away from him and that's where that's the ultimate compliment corner is is so interesting in that that can be the hardest position in football to gauge you know because even offensive linemen they've got the blocking right, grades right. now but corner I mean you think back to the guys let's say in the 90s when we were in our twenties, that, that were that oh were you know, like Deion Sanders and Rod Woodson in the NFL, they were the two best. There'd be games. There might be one ball thrown their way. Yeah, so, exactly. So that's one of those. You could have a great yeah. game, and I don't want to say you not, measure it. yeah, not do anything, right, but right. You're, you're you're shutting down half the field, and that was certainly the the, the deal there with Champ. But he he was a lockdown corner and just. The, the plays he could make in, in, in so many ways. And, you know, it's really interesting, too. When you think about that 97 team, the versatility of Champ Bailey, Hines Ward, and Robert Edwards, the number of different yeah. positions those guys played. But that would have been a great team back in the back, back in the Sinkwich and Trippy wow. and Wally Butts here when, no when guys went both ways. Yeah, no kidding. So it's good. I always like when the – the, the list comes out and you see who's on the ballot and then when you got someone from your own team it gets you thinking about their career and stuff like that and then it gets you looking back at uh, some of the other members of your own school that you follow that are in the uh, in the Hall of Fame and I believe it's uh, Notre Dame has the most I know that's sure stunning. sure stunning they're like in the 40s yeah so um, you know plus the Hall of Fame used to be in South Bend so this is true yes <laughs> yes. And by the way, I'm glad to to see that the uh, the Hall of Fame is going to reopen July 1st downtown Atlanta. Uh, no, there had been uh, you know the uh, I guess during one of the uh, the protests that uh, I think part of the gift shop or whatever. Luckily, the museum itself I don't mm-hmm. think uh, handled had to had to uh, I guess they had to replace anything in there. So that that's good. But uh, the College Football Hall of Fame, awesome place. Although. Uh, media day is going to be virtual this year, so it was supposed to be in Atlanta this year, and it was—I think it's scheduled to be in Nashville next year. I'm not sure what they're going to do, but I believe every conference now has officially gone virtual for its uh, for its media days. But I did want to bring up the subject of uh, Irk Russell, and according to the um, rules of the College Football Hall of Fame, for a head coach, you must have been a head coach for ten years. You. You were supposed to have, I uh, believe, had a winning percentage of 600. And I think you had to have coached at least 100 games. So for Irk. Or was it, it get 100 wins? Was, was that it? it? I don't, did, how many wins did Irk have? I think it was. Maybe but, it was 100 wins. Is but, that what it was? Because yeah. the deal was like the first two years at Georgia Southern, like one year they were a club team yeah. and then they worked their way up. Right. So their first year in 1AA was 1984. Right. And he retired after the 89 season. Right, right. So, but, but he's got eight, he has eight years of head coaching experience, right? But but I don't think he got to the hundred wins, and um, I, yeah, that's but, the thing. 
but he won three national championships. So does that mean anything? It's one of those things. And he also played for a fourth. So it's one of those things. Well, well, let me ask you something. Would you rather have a coach go ten years and win a hundred games with no national titles, or have a coach go eight years and, and win less and uh, you know win, win fewer games but win three national championships? And uh, he was such a remarkable man. And then certainly when, when you throw in the 17 years that he was a defensive coordinator uh, here at Georgia is one of the most famous oh, yeah. and one of the most beloved assistants of, of all time in, in the history of college football and the fact that, that he built the program from scratch at Georgia Southern and, and won three national championships. Again, their first year in 1AA was 1984. They won the national title in 85 and 86. So, I mean, that is – you talk about just – just a, a rocket forward head start. And, of course, he was a defensive coordinator for our 1980 national championship team here. So I think his career win totals a head coach is maybe around 88, something like that. Yeah. But, but Well, it's, I mean, it's phenomenal. And by the way, 10 years of head coaching experience, just coached 100 games. Okay. Don't have to win 100. And here's the thing. The, the kicker to me is it had at least a 600 winning percentage. And one of our listeners on the morning show – emailed in and he counted 32 coaches mm -hmm. that had a winning percentage of less than 60 uh including george welsh who went in in 2004 now the criteria may have changed i don't know there may have been coaches that were put in before that 600 winning percentage was added i don't know what that is but to me it seems a little it's like are you going to look one way for some coaches and 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 one way for others well let's you know like Jimmy Johnson you know before he coached the dolphins when he was ousted by the cowboys yeah. he was a head coach for 5 years won two super bowls he's a hall of fame yeah, i mean that's right. it's a no brand i'm looking here coach his official record was 83 22 and 1 yeah, yeah. but then have you know other stuff to take into account his record in the playoffs 16 and 2 yes he lost twice, and one of those was in a championship. That's game. exactly right. And the other one was a quarter they lost. They, yeah, they lost to App State when it was about nine degrees nine in Boone, North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. So and I think was that the year after he was replacing Tracy Ham? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. they had a, a quarterback named Raymond Gross uh, who, who did end up. He w won one and went yeah. to yeah, yeah went to or I guess he won two and went to three because they won it the year after he retired right right but no he was he was such a remarkable man and he's one of the few people you could say he, he had no enemies I mean everybody loved him and yeah. he was always a fit when he'd come back and speak to the touchdown club or you know when he awesome. would, when he'd get introduced with one of our championship teams at oh, a reunion yeah. out on the field he would always get the, the the loudest roar and everybody loved the man and you got to be around him a good bit I when did. you were younger. Man, I, I was very, very lucky and, and I mean, I was just bending his ear about old Georgia oh, football. Yeah. He probably was like, oh God, here we here go comes, again. Oh, he called you rule book. Here comes rule book again. He's going to talk to me about <laughs> Stanfield, the defensive <laughs> line. But yeah, he, t he taught me a lot about football. One of the things I'll always remember, because you know, in the in that stretch, Dave, we've talked about this a lot. 85 through 88 for Georgia football. Like to me, I would have traded one of Kirby's last three years for me for in that time period. Right. I was that's really when I was into Georgia football because right. that's when I was like 13, 14, 15, 16. Yeah. And and that's when you were in school here. Yeah. We were so close all those years. I mean, we could have ripped off, you know, four straight ten and ones. Just these oh, yeah. gut wrenching losses. 
And so I'd always be talking about the dogs and say, well, coach, we got this freshman coming in. And I remember one. he picked up two pine cones, one, one of which hadn't sprouted yet. And he goes, rule book, you see this pine cone? This is like a freshman. It might be hard on the inside on the outside, but it's soft on the inside. And then one of them that had sprouted, he said, this is more like the seniors. It, it might look worn down on the outside, but see, it's got a tough interior here. I said, I hear you, coach. I go, we, we got to have an impact defensive lineman here. <laughs> we got to get yeah. some recruits in here. But uh, he, he really taught me a lot about the game, and I appreciated him taking the time. And uh, we played tennis several times, and – the first time we ever played, stunningly, it was hot in the summer in Statesboro, mm-hmm. and he had agreed to play. This I, I was a good junior, and I'm nervous, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, gosh, you know, what if, you know, he's an he's old. Yeah. I think at that point he's like old man. fifty nine. Yeah, exactly. You know, was like, was it really that old? But no, it's no, all about perspective. Sure, I'm fifteen, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, I'm gonna <laughs> run him around, and I feel awful. Well. Uh, when it was six two four one, his favor, yeah. <laughs> and I'm oh. sucking wind. He goes rule book. If you need to quit, well, no, coach. I, <laughs> I think I got the next two or three games. I think he beat me six three or six four the second. But that was uh, that was a good. So anyway, uh, the, the quote air quotes here. The old man yeah. certainly still had it. Yeah. He ran me up and down the floor. So well, he was uh, such a great athlete anyway. Uh, he had four sport letterman in yeah. Auburn, though, no. yeah. and he was even um, when he had had. I can't remember if it was knee or shoulder surgery but he couldn't play tennis I mean he loved tennis he would play every day when he was at Georgia he and coach McGill played every day yeah what I wouldn't have loved oh to my have gosh and he told me a great story when I said coach did you ever beat coach because I got a set off of him one time and I brought that up to coach because he said I remember that day I had a hurt foot <laughs> but coach Russell was such a great athlete that he he had always said he didn't like golf and he said when, when I'm 90 years old and an old man and can't be an athlete anymore, I'm going to take up golf. <laughs> well, after he had had, I can't, again, I can't remember if it was a knee or a shoulder. I said, you really can't play the tennis anymore. He took up golf. And I'm telling you, within about two, three months, he was breaking 50 on nine holes. Oh, I'm sure. I'm I mean, sure. He just, the, the, the guy w- was remarkable and... He is deserves true. to be in the hall. He absolutely I don't know how does. You make exceptions for that, but he deserves to be. In well, there. there's you know rules that are absolutes. That they're, they're always exceptions. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean I, again, I have no idea what guideline is is keeping him out. And plus the fact that the Hall of Fame's in the state of Georgia. Yeah, I know. One of the all. I mean, one of the all-time greats. And and there's you know no college football Hall of Fame. For him, and that's that's really too bad. By the way, you mentioned golf. I did want to throw this at you. We just have a couple of minutes left here. Today, as we take this, mm-hmm. this is on a Thursday, it's the 20th anniversary of Tiger winning the U.S. Open by 15 wow. shots. And where he's 12 under and second place is three over par, what do you consider his greatest his greatest? I, I mean, that's got to be one of them, if not I think, the greatest. I and think he did that's it. At it. Pebble. The Ooh. fact that it was at Pebble in the yeah. year 2000, the 100th yeah. year. And by the way, U.S. in 1900, it was Varden. In 1950, it was Hogan. And in 00, it was Woods. So wow. maybe yeah. a little something to that. But no, I, I think to win the U.S. Open by 15, and, and plus the fact that that kick started, then he, he won at St. Andrews by what, eight? Yeah. And then he had the great duel with Bob May. Yeah. And then, of course, PGA. he won the Masters the next year. But the thing is, it's just what, what kills me about that is, is that 
it wasn't like he was 25 under no and and somebody was 10 under I know he was 12 under and then you have to go to what Ernie Els Ernie and, and Miguel Angel Jimenez were both three over par. And that's a typical U.S. Open score when you look back. You know, yeah. they would say old man par at the U.S. Yeah. Open. If you could average that, you'd win a lot of U.S. Oh, Opens yeah. there. So, and Pebble was playing very tough, and you know, there was fog and there was wind. But but that was truly one of those things. And, and Dave, you and I kind of coming up in, in the era we came up in when, when the TV deal was just booming. I mean, I think about some of the NFL and the NBA that, that we saw in the 80s and into the 90s, and there would be times where you just kind of knew you were watching something special. Yep. And when Tiger was doing that, I, I had always remembered, uh, I think it was Johnny Millard said, either earlier that year or the year before, he said, when he gets the distance on his irons figured out, everybody else better watch out. Yeah. He was so dialed in and – you know, I, even Jack Nicholas would probably tell you he's never seen anybody that played that great and putted that great oh, yeah. for that long a period. But that so that that would get my vote is is the most impressive and dominating a uh, golf feat ever, and certainly Other than one what of them. Did to Stephen Ames nine and eight, <laughs> like literally <laughs> he did. Stephen Ames did one hole better than I guess he halved one hole oh, on yeah. the front, but I, I mean th than you and I could have done, but. But the fact that that was 20 years ago, yeah, certainly ages you. But, but I, for somebody, like you said, could somebody win a U.S. Open by 15 again? No, but maybe the course set up. It's so, plausible. It was it's, 22 it's, under yeah. to 7 under. But the, yeah. the fact that it was minus 12 that's and the plus kicker. 3. Exactly. That's what's so incredible uh, about it that. Was, it, it was absolutely amazing. Well, 20 Jeff, years? 20 years ago. Well, two, 2000 gosh, was, was 20 years two ago? years ago when Graham McDowell won there. Jeez. I mean, it's uh, – so how many how many Opens has Pebble had since Tiger won it? Well, they, they've had uh, McDowell and Woodland, and they had Nicholas won it in 72, right. Watson in 82, Kite in 92, two. Tiger in 00. So there have yeah, been six so, total. Okay. So it seems like it's been more than that, but uh, that shot that Woodland hit oh. off on the green was pretty good too, where he wasn't using his putter. No, on, on number seventeen. Does, well, our man Scott Griffith would he uh, would he tell you to do that at the university <laughs> course? Probably not. Probably, Probably. not. You, well, it's funny because you got eighteen and one that uh, you could uh, sometimes. Like golfers like us, we might get on the wrong green there sometimes. So, well, there's a trap in the middle. Yeah, what am I supposed we, to do? Can we chip in here? No, 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 no. no you do cannot. Not, Please don't. Well, I'm just going to use my foot wedge and slide <laughs> it on <right>. up here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Jeff. Great uh, having you here on the podcast. You'll be back on again next week with the Bramer. We do appreciate you, and we also appreciate fully loaded Pizza Kitchen, Five Points in Athens, and also the location off Mars Hill Road in Watkinsville. Have a great week, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. This has been episode number 140 of the Crossover Podcast here, presented by Fully Loaded Pizza Kitchen. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. 
Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.